0: Academy episode 12.
1: We've got to learn to position our business for rapid change. Imagine reinventing yourself every three years and then staying on top of it monthly like you are. Number four, you've got to have the right position for long-term development. So that's going to take a lot of knowledge and ongoing entrepreneurship.
0: Welcome automotive aftermarketers to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Welcome aftermarketers to the matching audio podcast of the Town Hall Academy video on what keeps you up at night. This is Carm Capriato, your host. You know, we take a single topic each week with an industry panel and broadcast live Fridays at 12 noon Eastern on my webinar platform and on Facebook. You can learn all about watching live at RemarkableResults.biz slash townhall. The show notes for this Academy episode is at RemarkableResults.biz slash A012. Yes, we are in the 12th episode of the Academy. There you'll find in-depth bios on my guests with options to listen to the audio podcast. Or even watch the video. I've heard from many of you who are excited about having the Academy lessons in podcast form, and I appreciate that. There's so much great content here in this digital audio broadcast that is so portable and easy to find. Not all of us have time to watch a video screen because we're on the move. So you can enjoy the wisdom put forth from your industry colleagues right here on the Academy podcasts. And thanks. Now, wherever you listen, I would appreciate you subscribing to that app. Whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher or Spreaker or others, please subscribe. That way you get the latest episode right on your smart device. And if you have my iOS or Android app, you'll find the Academy episodes there also i guarantee powerful learning nuggets in each episode and this episode's no exception see it's your peers who put on this tutoring and share their ideas best practices and passion on what works for them and where they've had their own successes and challenges remember the library of episodes grows each week now please use the search feature and tag cloud on my website to find your specific area of interest now this is a very interesting academy forum We talked about what keeps you up at night. It's really a metaphor for the ever-changing world we live in. With me is a jobber, a service professional, and a business coach and consultant. Now meet Jim Myers, owner of Eau Claire Auto Parts, serving the Chippewa Valley in Wisconsin, Bill Nailu, president of Interstate Auto Care in Madison Heights, Michigan, and Bob Greenwood, AAM, the president and CEO of Automotive Aftermarket eLearning Center. Put your thinking cap on and enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to Town Hall Live. We do it every Friday at 12 noon Eastern right here on the Remarkable Results Radio Network. Boy, I'll tell you, uh, excited about this. I'm excited about this particular uh, episode. And uh, I don't know, but I got up at 2 o'clock this morning worrying about this episode. So, oh, let me see. The title of today's Town Hall is What Keeps You Up at Night?, Well, I guess I found it very fitting that I would have to get up at 2 o'clock in the morning and watch reruns of some old shows or something. But actually, what keeps you up at night was really designed to be a metaphor on the ever-changing, very interesting world that we live in here in the automotive aftermarket. So where do we start? We we have less than an hour. We're not going to cover it all. But the beauty of it is, is that we're starting the dialogue. Let me toss this up and out. How are we going to replace the 40% of the outgoing industry brain trust when there's no end in sight? And the Bill, this is one of your talking points. You know, is it the lack of in respect by academia that we've got to be able to, you know, bring in our youth to start? Uh, where are we going to get our skilled tradesmen?
2: We are our worst enemies here. Would you agree with that? Totally. You know, last night I had all these talking points in my head and I think to myself, is this really a, is it right for real or is just a myth? We're a bunch of independent repair shops that don't know how to work interdependently. Was it? I think it was a Stephen Covey that said that. You know, the, the industry timeline, the industry uh, pattern is that you know, you, you when you're born into this, whether you we're talking about life or we're talking about an industry, you're born dependent. And then at some point in, in adulthood, you become independent. And then hopefully in your wise elder years, you realize that you have to be interdependent. And, and that's, I guess that would be a good place to start. Are we ready to have a conversation whereby we talk about the fact that we don't have to give up our dependence as shop owners in order for us to work together interdependently?
0: So the dialogue, and there's a lot of dialogue going on out there, Bill, and I think you know it, and we all know it. It's, it's happening at every level of the industry. There are more um, association execs, ASE, NATEF, they're out there speaking every day. There is a ground swell to get this paradigm to shift. I think it's going to take more work than we're, we're actually giving it, and, and and it's great to open up that dialogue. Uh, Jim, you know, as a jobber and a supplier to our industry, you know, you perform a very critical uh, job for us. What what's keeping you up at night, thinking about how you're going to continue to be successful with all the pressures on running a great business? One of the
3: things I've been talking about is B two B business to business through whether it's Amazon or or someone else. Uh, no longer is on certain parts folks don't even call their local jobber they just go right online they think they're they can get a uh, better price they, they lose the value of having a a local jobber that can meet their needs deliver their parts when they need them run over for a bolt you know find the hard to get things and by not uh giving us the, the day-to-day business shooting that off to to uh Different suppliers were, you know, it's harder for us to make our living, so it's real concerning.
0: Let me ask you a question: When did you start getting concerned about the the, the Amazon factor? How long ago?
3: Probably within the last three four years is when we've really started seeing it. Um, yeah, you know, obviously shops, you know, they they want to save money, they want to do the right thing for their customer, not only shops but retail people too as well because we do a little bit of retail business so it's been going on for some some time and it's it's noticeable
0: there was a, a an article just written recently by derek kaufman from schwartz associates and actually it was he bob that coined the term business model trans transformation i actually spoke to him this week and he is going to be on and we're going to chat with him on this and and i actually asked derek kaufman uh, this this new acronym uh, bmt he says i'm going to take credit for that 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 was me that that hit and, and really it's a great article and he and i are going to talk about it it's all about how business is changing and one of the things that he said to tie in with what you just said jim is that amazon is a learning machine <laughs> and he says there's nothing that they're not going to figure out On How to do it, you know, and I posed up a few challenges that I would see the service professional having. How are we going to, you know, deal with course? How are we going to, you know, get, you know, call up someone to to help me through? Are we going, Bob, and this question is for you, because you've got a lot of great clients that are very successful. Are we moving to a purely transactional relationship?
1: Look at 2017 as basically being the same point the internet was in 1997. It was 1997, 98, 99, the internet started to take off. I look at the industry in the aftermarket now being at that same point where all of a sudden we had to learn what the internet was all about and how it's going to affect us and how do I utilize it to my advantage. With the autonomous vehicle, electric vehicles all of those are coming into play we can't we can't put our head in the sand and so what Derek Kaufman is saying about this business model transformation is absolutely critical that we discuss it examine it how are we going to deal with it because you look at what Tesla is bringing in what their attitude is what their mindset is other manufacturers um, the U.S. government's already acknowledged that they're going to allow autonomous vehicles to legally count as a driver in the future. Um, you look at the whole issue about driver's licenses um, compared to the generations many, many years ago. Uh, it used to be that 16-year-olds were so anxious to get a driver's license. Um, today, 18-year-olds don't even have a driver's license. Yeah. Yeah. So the usage of the vehicle is going to dramatically change. And I think there's going to be less owners and more users.
0: You know, the the car park is 200 and some million. And I don't necessarily believe that we're in our lifetime. And, you know, no matter if we're 40 or, or 60 years old, that in our remaining lifetime, we are going to see the shift be that bad that it is going to cripple any major section of our industry. Although the reason for the discussions and the reason to look in our crystal balls is to say, what can I do today to totally be aware of what I'm doing and to maybe shift some of the stuff that I'm doing? And, and let me throw this idea out at everyone. I think the shift to specialty and, and you know, I don't know, Jim, I'm not sure if you see it in your area and Bill, but when you look at the the, the the service professionals that are doing just japanese or just european uh or they're just fleet specialists are they going to are, are they going to be able to be uh successful more down the road because if if you're all makes and all models and you know the autonomy the the ride share covers a maybe a bigger portion of that w- would that be a reason again business model transformation even in the service sector where are we or you going to evolve to? Bill, does, does that strike a bell at all?
2: It does. And at risk of oversimplifying this, and, and I dare say somebody with in Bob's position, looking at the industry from 30,000 feet, the handicap that he may have, if any, is that he may not see just how fast. I mean, when I say how fast, I'm talking in, in at Jim's counter, in my counter- how quickly things are moving. I mean, like monthly, like weekly, there are shifts that are occurring that we can see right now on the street. And and um, I guess to, to tie back into what we were saying about Amazon, I say, I want to be the devil's advocate here in this argument here. I mean, as, as late as last night, I thought to myself, yeah, Amazon is about commoditizing uh, our lives. And we are supposed to be in the camaraderie business, you know, like like we're somehow supposed to be above being commoditized. Well, let me remind the rest of the industry. I was a former shell dealer and and probably half the industry were former gas station. What is the biggest commodity going back a hundred years? Gasoline. What did we do? We had our price signs up on the wall and we were killing each other over pennies. We were living and dying by the pennies. We've been living with commodity with a commodity business model for years and the way we got past that is we would move somebody from commodity to camaraderie, and the way we did that back in the day is somebody would walk in and we had all the traffic that we could ever imagine. We did thousands of people. And little by little, before Amazon was ever on the radar screen, we started having credit cards and we saw less traffic coming in the door, less handshaking, less eye contact. And so slowly, this is just a progression of that. And so I guess I want to challenge us, even though I agree with the sentiment here. We've got to do something different. We've got to find a way. And, and so the the issue is how we're going to reach people outside the four walls, outside the half-acre, two-acre lot that we live in 10, 12 hours a day sometimes. Yeah. How are we going to reach out to the world? And that's where – this is where the challenge is. This is where things are going to make it. This is where – what Jeremy O'Neill said a few, a few episodes ago is you've got shops. That have been in business for 20 or 30 years they will be gone in six months and 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 conversely though the good news is on that is that there are shops that are opening today that will be thriving six months from now as if they've been in business for 20 or 30 years so it all depends on on which way we're going to tackle this little this little problem of ours
1: you know bill if i can add to what you're saying there my concern is this is that you look at the shops that are going out of business, those, those owners, they, they just didn't want to change or embrace the new aftermarket and where we're going. We can't change that. I agree with everybody as far as the industry starting to talk about this, uh, but we're still not seeing proper uh, action at the, at the grassroots level, at the shop level. Owners are still sitting there contemplating and going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. If the facility has got to grow Um, my concern is, is that 15 or 20 year amortization on a building, I've got to have future business surety. I got to make sure my business is going to grow and prosper and be profitable to be able to support that kind of amortization. And our industry is changing so rapidly that I truly believe you have to reinvent your business model every three years now. You have to be on top of that or you're going to die
0: succession planning in the future. Jim, you, you brought this up also. Uh, if you look at valuing your business based on the last five years of financials, will that continue to be smart based on where the future is coming? do you Would you almost base your the value of your business on its ability to tackle and handle the future based a little bit on the past, but very much on your correct business model?
3: Yes, I would say more on a uh, what are you going to do to get the business in the future? What you've had is past. Um, You can't look back. Uh, You can use it for a reference, but how are we out attracting new customers, building relationships with the service dealers that we have now, helping them grow their business? Because if they're not growing, they're not buying. And what can we do to tie that relationship together? Um, What different... uh, specialty items are we going to try to to attract, whether it's our machine shop or paint matching, whatever it is, what are we doing to help others build their business to tie back to us?
0: He brings up a great point, Bill and Bob, that, you know, as a jobber in our industry, he has a fallback of hydraulics. Uh, Do you do paint, Jim? Yes, we do. All right. So he's got paint, he's got machine shop. And, and, you know, if Amazon or any e-commerce auto parts supplier is going to siphon something. You're already living in the world of a business model transformation. You just may be doing more business in, in those other areas. And, and those would be awfully hard. to I mean, I can't say that in 20 years, you can't send a chip over a camera and have a quart of paint sent over by a drone. And <laughs> maybe that could happen. But yeah, I mean that's a great way to think about it, uh, Bob. I want to go back to you on my question about valuation in, in in this new world order of ours. Is there more thought on future than past?
1: If you're going to be a true entrepreneur, you have to have the ability to always look forward and not live in the past. You have to have a very uh, open mind to concepts and ideas but prove them out and as you know karma prove it out mathematically that it, that it does work and makes sense if people are not going to have that mindset of always looking forward and always want to live in the rearview mirror you know what this is not the business for you it, it's it's time to move on
0: you know bob brings up such a good point i had the uh, pleasure to be with mr greenwood this week an hour and a half from where i live he was in rochester new york doing a seminar. And I was able to listen to half of his class and then go to dinner with him. And when he says you have to prove it by the math, he means you have to prove it by the math. He had everyone in that room with their eyes wide open going through all the justifications of, you know, efficiencies and proficiencies and productivity. And, you know, there were more spreadsheets helping the, the owners that were in the room understand what they had to improve because of, of a weakness or two, and and at least to find out how successful they were. So, you know, Bob is right. We, we are dealing in so many concepts here, but at the end of the day, if you can't make money at it, right, Bob, it's just not worth doing.
1: You're, you're a business entrepreneur. You're a CEO. You're supposed to work smart and develop that company. That's your job. But, as we've all talked about in this industry, too many of the uh, shop owners and managers work in the business, not on the business. And it is imperative to work on the business today with, with the change. And, and Bill's absolutely right. And even though I'm at 30,000 feet, I totally understand that, Bill. But um, working hand in hand with my clients, I understand the quick change that's coming and the rapid change. And fortunately, they're aware of it. And like you, they're on top of it but they're watching others around them just shrivel up. And my concern about this is from a moral aspect, gentlemen, from a moral aspect, we're watching people's lives be destroyed because they, that owner, didn't want to embrace the future. didn't. He's been in it too long, didn't want to open the minds and relearn the business again. And when we're into a generation that doesn't want to learn that generation is going to have financial hardship, emotional hardship, and they're also affecting the lives of the people that work with them, and that yeah. bothers me.
2: You know what you just th- said? Something Bob that just triggered a, a thought in my head is the old shop paradigm was we dealt with people three dimensionally. And would you agree that the problem that we have today, whether you know supply chain, you know you're a supplier, you're an inf- information supplier, you're a wisdom supplier in our industry? Jim is obviously a part supplier. We're suppliers. to We had this conversation before. We're suppliers of, of repair to our customer and, and services. Instinct tells us that life is competitive. But I think on a, on a different level, you know, it's survival to the, you know, it's the survival of the fittest. But I think the, the wise one here, and I had written this down earlier, uh, wisdom shows us that, that life is, is collaborative. You know, that we have to somehow now engage folks two-dimensionally online. To express to them what they may find out. So with regard to pricing here, this is, this is the big hoopla right now is, is how much, how much, right? How about we have a conversation with – and we're, by the way, in case – and this might be a discussion here. We can take some time. I think it's worthwhile. If we don't have a conversation, uh, when somebody calls up, if we think we're too good – to say to somebody, well, you know, we can't really give you a price unless you bring the vehicle. And can you imagine if I contacted you and said, Bob, how much do you charge, you know, for coaching? And Jim, how much do you charge for your part? Can you imagine responding to me and saying, well, you know, I really can't give you a price unless you fly over to Vancouver or I come over and, you know, Jim, you know, a Bill, you can't, you know, I can't give you a price unless I send you the part and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send you both parts and you tell me whether you want premium or not premium and then we'll talk about price. That's ridiculous. That's just not going to fly anymore. So my, my suggestion is, is we're going to have to say, Mr. Customer, you know what? Let's have this how much conversation. But while we're having the conversation about how much, let's talk about why much. right? Let's, find, yeah. let's talk about the why in the how much. This is something that has to happen all at the same time. And the problem is, is without proper coaching, without the guidance of a, a Bob Greenwood or a Cecil Bullard, it's very difficult for for folks that have been doing it all along and say, "Look, I know more about this than you know." than you're you, you know. Can you imagine having um, somebody like a Barry walk into a, somebody who's been in business for fifty years and having look Barry down like, "How old are you, Barrys?" I don't know. I'm guessing Barry's probably in his thirties, right? Forty. He's Barry's forty. Forty. Okay, so I've been in, I've been in business longer than you've been alive. What are you gonna tell me, right? Yep. This is the attitude yep. that's going to quickly, hopefully, hopefully for their sake. And for the sake of the industry, have folks moving on. Maybe it's time to let the next generation take over because they understand something much, much better than than the old timers do. And I say this respectfully.
1: You're absolutely correct in getting this next generation in place. But this next generation has to also learn something new. You have to have a proper relationship with your supplier, your distributor, because that distributor has contacts and avenues to make sure they understand your business and they want to bring that value to your business. Now, Jim, I'm not, I'm not patronizing anything here. I I, I truly believe that parts distributor has a very important role to play in this transition. And yet I see many parts distributors almost in the same elevated route as these shop owners are that they're not willing to change You're, from what I understand your history you're very progressive and that's excellent but you've got to have that relationship with your customer your shop clients to make sure that their business is in order and that shop client has got to trust you rather than yep. beating up on price and all that old stuff you know like really so yeah that transition has to take place and Bill you're right those conversations yep. have to be and but it has to be supported by action. And, I, and you've heard me say it before, behavior never lies. And right. what they say and then what they actually do are two different things. And that's the part that really disturbs me.
0: I, I love what you said, Bill. Bob, thanks for working with that. And then when you said, Bill, how much, I immediately wrote down, so what does that include? And that's no different than if I was getting my car repaired at your place and you did the proper job in the beginning, and told me these uh, these technicians that are Bob, I think I'm going to use your word, engineers. Uh, you know, diagnostic engineers. They're going to we have all this equipment, and, and here's what diagnostics really takes. And then when you're all done, totally explain what it is. And in your case, Jim, when the guy says, "Well, how much?" He said, oh, by the way, don't forget, we're going to deliver that thing over to you, you know, like in lightning speed. And if we had a, if we had a Star Trek transporter, we would, we would do that. And I'm going to send you a salesperson, and we're going to write your course, and we're going to get you training, and we're going to clean this up. And, and oh, by the way, uh, we know a lot about what's going on in the business. We'd love to have you. Uh, well, wait a minute. There's a podcast to listen to. There's a seminar to go to. There are stuff to help you improve. So how much? How much? What does this include? Your value add package probably keeps you up at night.
3: It's taking the time to build a relationship to let them understand what we do
1: you know, and the part that we play. But But look at the opportunities, <laughs> too, that are coming up and the opportunities when you open your mind and you understand exactly what Bill was saying. The change is taking place weekly, monthly, yeah. every year so fast now. And electric vehicles come in and autonomous vehicles, let's let's take our head out of the sand, they will be here and don't say, well, it won't wor- bother me for another 10, 15 years, wake up. The potential for new business will come through the fleet arrangement if you have the right relationships in place. To make sure the autonomous vehicles are probably looked after so who's the contact person how are we going to handle that what what is the relationship what are the requirements what are their needs and uh, i've got to as a business person be able to open that door and have that conversation then if i'm getting into fleet business which i will have to and we're educating all our clients to to go down this road carefully um, i've got to have my math in order what's the profitability of the fleet uh, how do we get paid what's the cash flow position et cetera, et etc
0: don't want to bring Mr. Kaufman in into this conversation again, but I'm going to, because when I had my pre-call with him yesterday, he told me some of the projects that Schwartz Associates is working on and one of them, and, and this is, I, I want to land this, A, this Aidas thing right on your laps, real hard. The Car Wash Industry Association hired them to figure out, with the Aidas systems, how it's going to work in the car wash wash bay because the computer is going to want to do things to the car that is it senses a brush coming in or the distance between another car and the the industry is concerned today on what it's going to be like in the very very near future because that stuff is coming it's it's on so many cars and it's coming every year there's more and more and more and more and the cars that have had it for 2 or 3 years are getting additional enhancements and the ones that are just coming out are getting you know a base package but they have come up with an idea and the idea and it was so interesting i says you know that the hazard warning button there should be another button on the car uh, uh, about the collision avoidance the adis system and he goes carm you're almost thinking right i mean this was off the top of my head and he says we're thinking it's going to be blue and we're thinking it's going to be pressed because you're going into a car wash this is this is not star wars this is today and it'll be it'll turn off the system for so many minutes. It automatically charges itself back up. And if that's being worked on, and the and the dialogue with the manufacturers are being had today because of that, there's no getting out of this, guys. It's here. And so that this whole business model, the reason we're we're, we're getting up at night, is should we be worried about this, or is it all opportunity?
2: You were the second person to repeat that word, opportunity. Bob said it earlier and I wanted to jump out of my seat. Opportunity. What is that about opportunity? We, you know, they say opportunity, you know, sometimes you miss an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Isn't that really the case? You and I miss the opportunity when it shows up in our lives, but the opportunity itself is truly never missed. Somebody al- comes along and picks up what you didn't pick up. And they become Thomas Edison. They yep. become Alexander Graham Bell. They become Daimler, or Benz. I don't know which one of that was. What was um, yeah, opportunity yep. is it is only missed by me. Somebody else is going to come along and capitalize on it. So, you know, in this in this industry right now, there's there's a lot of long faces. I mean, just to give you, just let me give you something personal here, Carmen. You and I had talked about this here. I'm proud to say we were 20% up over last year. So January, every month was a record month. I think 11 out of the 12 months were record months for us. Come January starts to taper off a little bit. February we were under. And now all of a sudden I'm, I'm on my heels for the first time in, in 14 months. I'm like, what's going on here? And, One of the things I think that one of the opportunities, we want to talk about opportunities here is it's a little humbling. Got to go back to what got you here and start looking at these things. And so for me, if there's one thing I can say that sort of keeps me up at night and and maybe I offer this for for self-therapy and and maybe for some some help is I think we've really, really got to be sharp on the phone. That phone is the most important thing in our lives in times like this, whether you're a parts store, whether you're a repair shop, You've just got to be on your P's and Q's uh, when it comes to engaging the customer in the right way, moving them from the how much to the the why how much. Depends, right? Depends on on where we want to go with that here.
1: I think the right response to what you've just said, in my opinion, is we as an aftermarket industry at the wholesale level, at the retail level, Number one, we've got to make sure we know what's going on and keep that communication continuous, educate ourselves. Number two, we've got to learn to position our business for rapid change. Imagine reinventing yourself every three years and then staying on top of it monthly like you are. Number four, you've got to have the right position for long-term development. So that's going to take a lot of knowledge and ongoing entrepreneurship. One thing I really get excited about the aftermarket is that it's in my career, my 40 years have been in this, uh, pretty darn good at reinventing themselves and taking a good hard look. But it's, it's like the groups like Jim belongs to, it's, it's like the, the contacts that you have, Bill, and, and how you interconnect and go to different meetings and associations. We have the contacts to have these discussions with people that are actually on the same playing field. So that to me is a positive. So the aftermarket does have a great future for the ones that get it.
2: I wanted to say, in response to what Bob was saying, you know, I I mean this 100% sincerely, Bob, there may be 10 people. There may be 10 Bob Greenwoods in our industry, just at the, at the top of, of, of the game at the top of, of the training. Um, But there's, and I can't be a Bob Greenwood, and so you know, a guy like me, a regular <laughs> Joe like me, there's thousands of us out there, and so my recommendation to other shop owners is get in the stream, you know remarkable results, Wrench Nation, um, you know Greg Buckley does it you know it, get in the stream of things, get, make it a habit to turn off the noise, shut down the 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 news of the day, and get in the stream. With some of these amazing, amazing people that are that are in this in this thriving community, uh, it doesn't look like it perhaps from your vantage point if you're not in the stream. But you've got to you've got to put yourself in there, and um and I'm a and I'm walking example of that. I mean I I'm a what was it about a year and a half, Carm? A year and a half removed from us meeting, meeting at uh, at Cars Nace in in Detroit, and as a result of that. I'm on the dealer advisory board at of Value. I uh, work with Cardone, work with uh, uh, numerous other entities, including uh, Oakland Technical Education Council, which is our our high schools. You know, basically a, a countywide high school um, uh, effort to to bring young people into the industry. And and uh, it's amazing what can be accomplished when you get in the stream, when you get in the this the airspace of really, truly great people like a, a Bob Greenwood, Cecil Bullard, yourself. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate that. You, you know, when I
0: think about uh, the challenges, what what keeps us up at night? What about retaining good people, Jim? Uh, you know, you've got to, that's got to be a major pro- concern of yours.
3: Very much so. We've had good folks over the years. You've got to have a atmosphere, a work uh, culture that people want to come to work. They want to be there. Uh, money's good. But it's you think, uh, taking care of them, you know, be concerned to, about them as a person. You never want to be real close friends with your coworkers. That's hard to manage, but you still need to be uh, uh, to the point where you actually care about them and they care about your business. It's, it's their business as well, and you treat them like, like a partner.
0: Do you worry about that, though? Uh, you know, say, say you know, look, look out over, you know, a three to six to nine-year period. Are you going to be um, on the hunt for good people, or are they going to stick around?
3: We hope they stick around. It. And if they're very talented and they're at one level, uh, I don't want to hold them back. Um, if they can go somewhere else to build a better career, go on with their life, I don't want to hold them back from their goals. But we're always looking for people I've found over the years, if I can um, take someone, we we all know this, with a good attitude, we can learn them the parts business, we can work with them to understand the functions of, of auto parts and how we operate our business. They can learn that, but, but they have to want to do that. It's having a good attitude, so it means a lot.
0: So, Mr. Greenwood, does there need to be any rethinking on how our people are taking care of profit shares, bonuses? What could, what could possibly be out there? What concepts or ideas in the face of the talent pool in keeping good people?
1: Jim's words were music to my ears. Is that I love the word culture. That's imperative. Uh, the staff are partners in the business they, mm-hmm. because they want to be part of it, and Owners such as Jim have the courage to allow them to make decisions on behalf of the business because he trusts who is in the business because he trained them properly. Now, the biggest issue is we've all heard about training and ongoing is what if I make the investment and the person quits? So I see within the next five years, um, we will become the profession just as the fire industry has done, as the airline industry has done, where we will be introducing training bonds so that when a person is hired, they understand that $10,000 is going to be invested in you over the next year. We will pay the legal fees. We want you to take this to your attorney and have it reviewed, but this is a training bond, which simply means if you're going to quit in the first year, you're, you owe us that money back, and it will deplenish over the next three to five years, depending on how much is there. So that's one concept. The other concepts I, I see coming in is retention of employees and staff who are with the company three years or more where they have special benefits brought to them as part of the loyalty. Thank you. And these these things will be focused on family values so that we can prove as a company that we are concerned about your life outside of our business uh, because we care about your personal development and uh, you have a good family life and our benefits will be focused on family development, not just you as an individual. Um, there's a lot of good stuff that can be done. And again, it's the imagination. Is this an investment an owner will be making? Yes. But the fact is, is that because of the efficiency of the business and the way it's operating, it's going to be profitable enough to support such a thing. And uh, all of a sudden this culture gets developed to a higher level and the retention of people will be better because people will actually be knocking at the door and saying, I've heard about your company. Uh, You know, you seem to have a great culture. They're less stressed. Everybody wants to be part of this business. Do you have any openings? Because as we all know, good, qualified, competent people are already working. The question is, are they happy where they're working?
0: Every once in a while, and not in every episode that I do with an entrepreneur, I ask them, what wakes you up at 2 in the clock in the morning? Bing, eyes wide open. And a bunch of them say, absolutely, positively, nothing. I sleep like a baby. And they have this attitude that I call, bring it on. Okay, bring it on. And when I determine why they're like that, I find out that they have a business coach. I find out that they're in a 20 group. I find out that networking is important to them. They can pick up the phone and and talk to anyone. They have mentors. Uh, They belong to associations. And it's almost like, you don't want to go through what wakes you up at two o'clock in the morning alone as much as we've talked about the technical challenge, the people challenges, the technician quote unquote shortage, just the desire to to be as profitable as you can. these are just basic business challenges, and that reinvention of being the c e o Bob that was you know the greatest you know from episode two o eight the whole episode was about. And Bob brought this to us. Learn to be your business as CEO. Everything depends on you. Everything you do, everything you say. So if you have to go back to school and learn, do it because you can't go through it alone. So is there any reason to, to wake up in the morning? What would be the reason to wake up if you had that bring it on attitude?
1: There's nothing to fear when you have that attitude because you're confident that you do have the contacts you do have the resources to find out about things and have those honest discussions with people you trust and you draw on all that information and you surround yourself. And I'll go back to episode 208 when Bill Haas says, you know, he doesn't want any of his clients attending his courses at vision or at apex or anything else. You go and see other classes, you get the perspective. And I want my clients to do the same darn thing is go out and get perspective because then you can create, and understand, There is a great future here, and I've got contacts, associations, and organizations that I can draw upon to keep me up to date, to keep me ahead of the wave so I don't have to worry about the wave crashing on me. I will be ahead of it, and I am going to surround myself with that kind of knowledge and those kind of people. And when you do, you become selective of who you hang out with, where you go, and the conversations you want to have, and you make that time because, A, you enjoy the conversation, And, you know, it's interesting, like you and I, Carmen, had a great conversation this week and just we enjoyed it. I mean, it was a buzz for both of us. And Bill, I've had conversations with you. It's the same thing. The buzz starts to go because you're engaged in the topic. And I'm sure Jim has the same thing in his his arena as well. That's exciting. So I can sleep very well at night.
2: Mm -hmm. Tell me if you if you agree with this. It's, It's it's almost like we're we're three three sons, right? And we're all complaining about how, you know, mom loves you more than she loves me, right? You're the yes. favorite. I'm not the favorite, you know? And uh, you know everybody's got their own, I'm the oldest, you know, I had to take care of you two, right? Yep. And uh, you know, you're the middle child. Nobody ever cares about the middle child. And then the youngest, no, nobody ever really, you're the spoiled one. And it's back and forth. And yep. this is sort of, it's the same damn thing. We're, we're, we're complaining about the same thing. Were you my next door neighbor? I was the youngest <laughs> <at least> of <laughs> We're complaining about the same thing, you know. I, I think about Jim when he was talking. Yep. I thought to myself, man, how would you like to be in Jim's situation? You know, he's, you know, he's got Amazon coming in. They're pulling parts. I think the the spec on on this, the, the the information on it was, I think it costs them like pennies, pennies to pull parts. You know, how does how does how does auto value compete with that? When you know, how how much infrastructure do you have to build? In order to catch up to these people, right? right? And and we talk about the technician shortage and all that stuff. You know what? The shortage is is only there as far as the fact that the industry can't support people wanting to go. Apple didn't have a problem bringing automotive people into their program, right? Neither did Google. You know, if you're willing to empower people and pay them accordingly and give them a future yeah. in 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 this, yeah, they'll move to Palo Alto. Why not? You know, one of
0: the critical things in distribution, and I, and I know everyone on the panel knows this, uh, it's it's cost. And it's value given. And if the manufacturer makes the part and, Bill, your company installs it, you kill the part throw the box away, everybody in the middle is overhead of some form or fashion. And we have to be able to have the low cost. So the gross margin we're charging, there's some money to be made to reinvest in our business and you know really, reward our people to, to stay that that whole retention piece, and everything that comes with the great spoils of great profitability and so you have to figure out if if Amazon, as you say, can pick for pennies, who else can pick for pennies or quarters so that they can stay competitive because that 's going to dictate price. But if price is the only thing and you don 't add any value, then people deserve to lose the business because then you 're no different than the next person. And, and and if, and if I was a, a jobber again, I'd be worried about my value proposition and my costs to me, those would be the two things.
1: And when was the last time a shop owner actually took the owner of the jobber store out that he buys from or she buys from and says, is your profitability okay? Cause you're a great supplier. And if you're not profitable and you go to business, that's going to dramatically affect my business. You have to be profitable. How can we work together on that?
0: So, so profound. Uh, I used to tell people that all the time. If if I go away, your parts prices will go up. I guarantee. <laughs> you, you believe that, Jim?
1: Yes. Uh,
3: you know, we offer a service. Uh, they, I feel if we're not reminding, them, reminding our customers of that, they can take advantage of us. Um, you know, we'll, we'll run 10 miles for a three-eighths bolt. And we'll run back and get a three-eighths bolt by four inches the next time. And, and you, you know there's no money in that. But if we're not there to do that, who's going to who's gonna offer that service? We're hoping by sending over the box of O-rings to pick out that maybe next time he needs a alternator, he's going to give us a try.
0: And that's the thing that worries me is that the traditional jobber that you are and man I can relate to that thing to the nines if you're going to run for the nickels and the dimes in aggregate you're running for a great customer who spends a lot of money for you so it's all it's all in the mix if they buy everything from a you know an online e then they pick up the phone and call you for the o-ring assortment can you drop it down you're probably going to have to say no,
3: we yeah uh, we don't say no,
0: <laughs> and that will be your struggle to to manage your costs because if the sales aren't there, you're gonna you're obviously gonna have a, a margin issue. Uh, how
2: you have to pay uh, f- pay for everything, Jim? Yeah, can I challenge that for a second? Here, okay, I, I'm I'm one of your customers, right? Sure. So so let me challenge you on that here. I want you to drop that guy. I want you to drop as a as a shop. Yeah. That, um, that is one of your best customers, right? Yep. I want you to drop that guy because Sorry. that guy is taking advantage of you and me in the process. It's costing us more. Sure. I'm, it's always easy for me to, to tell you how you should run your business yeah. better because it's a little bit you – know, it's a little much, much easier to look out than to look into a mirror. And so one of the things that – and I think we talked about this during the, the supplier needs uh, webinar – You're going to be moving from being a part supplier to being a program provider, and the program includes the ability to make you more efficient. You as a repair facility make you more efficient and lower your cost by virtue of you doing what we have determined needs to be done and so forth. So that would be tiered delivery systems, right? If we can deliver the part the next day or in two hours and cut down that, that cuts down – payroll that cuts down insurance and vehicle maintenance and you could cut down your your delivery vehicles in half yep. just doing that alone right right and um, to say nothing of the fact that if we could get vindicoding dealer level vindicoding mm-hmm. what that would do for wrong parts and all sure. and, and all that stuff so i want you to fire that guy and and to the to the extent that we do more of that uh, and 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 collaborate good shops yep. working with good suppliers good will will start to eliminate some of the the damaging aspects for again for their sake and for the sake of yeah. the industry this isn't this isn't it's this isn't me against you shop owner to shop owner this is me versus me and you versus you every morning we get up and we wonder why we're having a problem here Does it, has it ever occurred to you to look in the mirror and say what could i be doing more than i did yesterday
1: sure you know when you when you look at it that way bill i I, I totally understand your perspective and it's just like saying a shop owner is going to have to seriously look at the next year year and a half two years uh should they specialize and uh because of all makes and models not going to be able to be there so now we're looking at a supplier uh looking at their business model and they say who are we going to be doing business with and the so-called clients that we choose do they have good longevity uh, because I can't afford to deal with shops that are going to go to a business night and I don't get paid. Yep. And uh, you know, parts are going to change into software programs and apps, and they've got to be on top of that. But how do, you, how do you do all the perspective of the old 1980s-style shop owner and then the new modern 2020 shop owner? Uh, that's a heck of a diversification in the supplier business. And uh, so a lot of decisions are going to have to be made at that wholesale level as well, just as same as the shop level.
0: Well, look at it. it's the top of the hour, I believe, and I have so enjoyed this discussion. And in fact, I think we did good, but I think there's a lot more to talk about. This is, a, I think, it's a big issue. So, uh, boy, um, I I, uh, I received a lot. I believe our listener has. I I hope to see this thing get a lot of legs over the weekend. We'll have it repurposed out maybe by Monday for you all. I thank you so much, my friend Bill Nalu, my friend Bob. Greenwood and my friend Jim Myers for being on the show.
1: Great meeting you, Jim. Yes,
3: (laughs) great meeting you guys. Enjoyed this.
0: Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the Premier Automotive Aftermarket Podcast. Until next time,